You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles hunting podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and on this podcast, you will find tons of relevant information that will help you become more successful in the field. You'll hear product information directly from the manufacturer and success stories from guys and gals just like you. Sit back, relax, and pour a stiff drink. This episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast starts right now now all right everybody welcome back to the nine finger chronicles podcast and the johnson house is in complete chaos tonight we got kids running all over the place i'm almost positive that when i stop talking you're going to hear them in the background but uh that's life in my house it's uh it's crazy it's crazy. Oh, there's one crying. So <laughs> I'm not even going to try to edit any of this out because this is real life and this is a, a real podcast with real people. And uh, today we're going to be talking with Matthew Real. And Matthew is a pro golfer by day and uh, bow hunter by night. When I say that, he's not bow hunting at night, but his, his real job is a golf pro at one of his one of his local uh, golf courses and he has recently got into bow hunting over you know the past handful of years and uh, today is a discussion about that right how he tried to do the pro golf tour for a while we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about how he transitioned into bow hunting uh, while still you know being a a golf pro and uh, we talk about the similarities we talk about the differences uh, between the two sports and uh, it's a really interesting podcast and uh, I know I've talked with some guys out there who like to golf but uh he's really good at golf and um me personally like i mentioned in the podcast i really suck at golf uh, so i don't do it unless i'm carrying like a, a six pack around or maybe i just drive the you know drive the cart or i'm playing a, a best ball with one of my buddies and uh i we always use their ball no matter what because i i literally suck at it uh, so that's what today's podcast is about. Uh, before we get into today's podcast, we got to do a commercial, right? And that commercial is by Hunter Safety Systems. Now, at the end of every podcast, almost every one of the over 400 podcasts that I've done, I've said something uh, about being safe, right? And uh, Hunter Safety Systems offers a you know, a variety of 
uh, safety harnesses, right? And they can be, you know, they can have something to set up your tree stands like in the summertime when you're doing your pre-hanging they have stuff that's lightweight they have vests they have stuff that's a little bit more comfortable they have literally every type of every type of harness for everybody and uh, so i think you guys need to go check out huntersafetysystem.com check out all the options because your safety in a tree stand is the most important thing right and uh, you hear it all all too often right somebody slipped and fall and got hurt maybe they just rolled their ankle and they got away lucky or they they got bruised and bumped up or they fell out and they got paralyzed so if you're hunting without in a tree stand without a safety harness man you need to get your head out of your ass and go buy one okay and uh, you can do that at huntersafetysystem.com and I mean, it's pretty simple, right? So enough talking. It's podcast time. And this podcast is with Matt Real. All right. Joining me today, Mr. Matthew Real. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How about you, Dan? Can't complain. I just got back from a shed hunt today. Uh, I... I dropped my kids off at daycare. I booked it an hour south. I shed hunted for like four hours, turned around, drove uh, back up, and here we are recording a podcast today. It was uh, very cold, and I didn't find any sheds. So all I did was basically just burn gas. Yeah, well, you got to do that sometimes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I was I was hoping I'd run into uh, a lot more tracks and stuff but it didn't even seem like the deer were uh, there in the area uh i think the fertilizer company came and spread fertilizer all over the fields and that i think what that did was that shut off that food source and they went somewhere else and uh so now there's there's hardly even any tracks to i guess go look for beds or it looks like that whole area just kind of dried up yeah, I did a little, I think you're kind of similar to us up here in Wisconsin that we got a lot of snow and a lot of ice yeah. and uh, shed hunting is a little difficult. I was out twice and um, same scenario. I I saw a lot of coyote tracks and a lot of uh, coyote hunter tracks on my lease, but uh, not a lot of deer tracks and, and I didn't find anything either. Yeah. Well, I guess there's still a little bit of time. Uh, I, I still hear reports from people saying that it's about 50-50. You know, there's still some deer holding. So, you know, maybe there's still some time for my properties to recover and, and move back into that food source. And hopefully uh, hopefully I can find some more sheds because uh, shed hunting is awesome when you find sheds. And shed hunting sucks. It's like you curse it when you don't find any sheds. Absolutely. I actually was, when I shed hunted uh, a couple weeks ago, I was meandering all over the place, kind of looking for, it's a new property that I have this year. So I haven't really, I got it late in the year and I hadn't had a bunch of chance to scout it. Um, so I took the opportunity to shed hunt and kind of scout some of those wintering grounds that, that you guys have been talking about over the last couple of weeks. And um, it found some great spots. So I didn't totally waste some time, but uh but I didn't find much for uh, for sheds for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to do a little bit of a hunter profile type podcast. 
mixed with a little bit of a BS session today. So Matt, why don't you talk to us first and foremost a little bit about where you're from and what do you do for a living? Yes, I'm from um, South Central Wisconsin. Um, I live in Stoughton, Wisconsin, and uh, I'm a PGA golf professional by trade, and uh, I've kind of done that, chased a little white ball around and uh, made it into a career and, uh, in a cold climate, so I get a little bit of free time to chase deer and uh, do a little fishing here in the off-seasons. Okay. You said Stoughton, right? Stoughton, correct. Stoughton. What's the lake... Is it Kiganza? It is Kiganza. Okay, so my buddy lived on Lake Kiganza and worked for a company called Epic, uh, just west of Madison, uh, man, for like three years. And so sure. throughout the summers when he was living there, man, I'd pop up and we'd go boating, boating on Lake Kiganza. We'd go fishing. We'd basically just party on his uh, house that he had right on the lake and uh, that he was renting. And then I can, I remember once every weekend while we're up there, it's like the main drag that goes through town. There's like this really small diner uh, on the, I want to say it's on the East side of the town on that main strip. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah. Like the coffee cup, maybe the coffee cup. That's it. Yeah. I'm telling you right now, they have some really good breakfasts. Like I just, they remember, do. I just remember going like, you know, it's a good way to kind of get a hangover to go away <laughs> when you go just absolutely stuff your face with, you know, the scrambled and they eggs. Serve, and they serve liquor and beer for breakfast in there too. If you need it. Oh, they do. I you need know. to get back. Absolutely. You can get a, uh, you know, the big Denver omelet or the meat lovers omelet with a little whiskey old fashioned if you need to. Well, I don't, uh, I'm not, the, I'm not the guy that goes and tries to have the hair of the dog first thing in the morning. I'm the guy who likes to, uh, you know, drink as much coffee as humanly possible and, and, uh, wash that down with uh, a good greasy solid breakfast. And, uh, I just remember that, that the food there being, being really good. Yeah. It's a great little spot. That's for sure. Do you, do you ever go fishing at all on Lake Kiganza? Yeah, not you know I haven't. Uh, it's a long story, but I my uh, I have two little girls that uh, love the outdoors, and uh, when they were real little, they're five and ten now. Um, so when they were, you know, five and newborn, uh, we had a boat and we were out there all the time fishing. And did a lot of trolling, um, so they could kind of just relax. And then, you know, as it got hot, we'd find some shade and they'd just fish for bluegills and whatnot. But my boat got stolen. So, what? Um, my, yeah, my wife was having a rummage sale and, uh, in our garage. So I had to pull the boat out of the garage and I stored it for the weekend at, uh, my parents' house and went to pick it up on, uh, Sunday night. And I went to push the boat to hook it up and it started rolling really easy. And I, so the boat physically wasn't stolen, but Somebody came in and cut the motors off. Oh. Both I had a little kicker motor and a big four-stroke motor. They cut all the motors off, um, trolling motors, took all the electronics, cleared out all the rod racks, everything, and basically made the boat unusable. Um, so at that point, my wife said, well, I think it's time for to buy a camper instead of a boat. So I haven't been out there fishing a whole lot unless my 
buddies call me up and uh, then I, I can sneak away, I certainly go. But um, not having a boat's limited my uh, time on the water a little bit. Well, those bastards, man. I, man, I just I get so mad when I hear stories like that because I know a boat motor and trail camera is two different things but i'm just about sick of people stealing my shit <laughs> i'm with you i've had <clears throat> i've probably partly my fault but between golf clubs trail cameras tree stands boats uh i lose a lot of stuff every year yeah yeah absolutely all right so you are a pga golf pro at a local uh at a local golf course there right correct okay so what do you do this time of year when you know the reports are a foot of snow still on the ground in in wisconsin uh really it's it's all boring stuff uh once we get into the you know the golf season is is kind of chaotic it's busy nonstop. you don't really have much time to do any planning and preparation. So it's kind of like preseason scouting a little bit. So um, get in and do all the budgets, all the ordering, get all the schedules laid out and all the events laid out for the year. Um, so then once we get uh, the green grass growing and the sun comes up, we can uh, hit the gar- hit the ground running with uh, kind of just pull the file for the month and uh, follow the game plan and run it through the season and then uh, go chase some bucks after it all wraps up. Okay. So golf is a very, uh, is a sport unlike, you know, unlike football, you can't just go around running around like a maniac and, and just like start hitting stuff and breaking stuff. There's gotta be like really good form, really good focus, all these things. So my first question I want to ask you is how is golf similar to hunting let's say like big bucks uh hit there you know honestly there's a lot of similarities that you can uh you know correlate and just being where i am when i'm you know a lot of the golfers that we have at our club and um, a lot of them are fans of your podcast so i'm sure they'll be listening um but there are a lot of outdoorsmen so when I'm trying to teach the game of golf, whether it's to kids or adults, a lot of them can relate to fishing and hunting or archery um, easier than golf sometimes because people seem to overcomplicate golf. Um, when I was doing chasing the dream of playing on tour and doing all that stuff, um, a very well-respected individual in the game of golf told me, he said, it's really easy. If you think about it, you're trying to put this ball in that hole over there. It's all you got to think about. So we try to simplify it, but if I know, um, let's take a, a person that is an archer that is working on their golf game, you can correlate some of that stuff, you know, where we use like the aim small, miss small, you know. So from right. an archery standpoint, you know, we're looking at like top of the heart. You're picking out, a, you know, a hair on that deer. That's where you want the arrow to go. If you miss that small, extremely small spot, you're still, you know, kind of in the uh, in the boiler room aspect there. From the golf, you know, a lot of people, you know, try to hit the golf ball. I try to tie that into don't hit the golf ball, hit a dimple on the golf ball. You know, so again, kind of that aim small, miss small. And, you know, we try to correlate that with 
you know, the golf club actually swinging. Um, there's a term with golf swings that is called casting, which is a, a lot like casting a fishing pole rod. You know, and you're making a lure cast, you use your, your wrist. Um, and a lot of people seem to, when they're swinging a golf club, kind of stiff arm it. And so I use a fishing pole actually. And I, I tell them, if you don't use your wrist and try to cast that lure, you're not going to get it very far. So if we, you have to use that wrist action and they don't think about it, they utilize that, um, simply just by kind of natural talent, they use their wrist and cast that, you know, lure out there. Same thing with a golf club. If they're trying to stiff arm it, not use their wrist, keep everything square, they can make contact, but they don't get a lot of distance. So try to correlate that back into that fishing scenario. If we can rotate those wrists a little bit and use that speed, it's going to help you hit the golf ball a lot further. So it's nice in my area that I have a lot of sportsmen and sports women that uh, can, you know, I can uh, utilize some of those analogies that helps them learn a little bit faster. And it's, it's fun. Sometimes that little things like that help it click. I'm going to go out on a limb and and make a statement here. And that statement is I suck at golf. I'm not very good at it. (laughs) Um, So before we get into the hunting aspect of it, what is the biggest mistake Let's say a guy like me who just, I, I mean, I don't ever practice, right? I don't, I don't practice golf. I don't play golf. Sure. But let's say the one time every two years that I get the opportunity to go play golf, what's something that I need to be thinking about when I go out and, and play, uh, play golf with, uh, let's say, like my brother who, he, he is the golf version of me. He takes golfing serious. Okay. Um. If I would tell anybody anything, it's don't try too hard. You know, everyone is very analytical and they think about, they make it very robotic about, I got to do this, I got to do this. And they think about all these things. Um, And really, if you think about, you know, from your standpoint, going out a couple times a year, think about it as I'm going to just try to move this ball over there and just let your, you know, God-given ability, hand-eye coordination, just take over. And don't let your mind get caught up in, well, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. Just let your, you know, hand-eye coordination and natural abilities just try to move that golf ball from point A to point B and keep it simple. Yeah, makes perfect sense, makes perfect sense. And, uh, and have lots of cold beverages on hand as well. Well, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That doesn't matter. That like, like the uh, how good of a golfer you are. That doesn't matter. That's like that's the constant across it all, right? Well, it's, it stimulates your natural ability. It helps you. You, you know, you relax. And you, that's you know, there's really some studies about that, that in the golf world where you know people go play and then they they're they're geared up and they're thinking, I'm gonna this is my day, you know, and they play four or five holes and. Things aren't going so good. So, like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna have a Bloody Mary. I'm gonna have a couple beers, and all of a sudden, they loosen up and they start playing really well. And they never correlate that. That's really just the it's the mindset. Really, it's not the alcohol necessarily. It's the mindset that the alcohol puts them in that allows them just to use their natural ability and and not think about things so much. Yeah. And if you can start that way, um, or 
you know, have some before you go out, um, you know, you'd probably be better off. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, because you can translate a lot of that back to hunting, right? Like don't overthink it. Absolutely. I think that, especially let's say like strategy, not necessarily form or, uh, the, the archery side of things, but I think a lot of it has to, uh, can relate to, you know, let's say strategy chasing mature whitetails, right? I think a lot of people sit there and I'm just as guilty as this. We overanalyze everything and we're, we're thinking about things too much when we just need to react and, and, um, I guess, don't talk ourselves out of a decision that we've made, you know, based off of, you know, because typically the first, the first inclination is the right one. Correct. Yeah. Cool. That's happened. Uh, I found myself doing that like all of us have many a times laying in bed going, thinking of the strategy, thinking of the wind, thinking of what, you know, where that, you know, buck that you got kind of got him narrowed down where he's going to be. And, uh, then you wake up and just go, ah, I feel like he's going to be over here. And you go, and there he is. You know, you can't uh, can't put that stuff on paper and, and try to analyze it too much. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes. Absolutely. Hey, quick, random question. Have you ever met John Daly? I have. I have. He seems like a cool he, guy to hang out with. Yeah, I'm not sure I can handle it, honestly. But uh, I have met him. I've met, you know, a handful of, you know, when I worked uh, in California a little bit at some golf clubs, I met some really good, you know, and prominent tour players and ball players and stuff like that. Um, one of the, he's certainly one of the characters that uh, everybody wants to meet at least once. Right. Right. My son looks a little like my son, my youngest son has a John Daly esque, like, He's like portly. My 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 son is portly, and he's got like this John Daly face. He's got like blonder hair, uh, as a, aside from all my other kids. So for some reason, when I look at my youngest son, I think of John Daly. <laughs> well, maybe he'll be. You know, maybe he'll uh, you hope to teach him how to party like John Daly someday. <laughs> no, dude, I've done enough of that for everybody in my family. Uh, there's always room for a little bit more. Yeah. Life's all about those experiences, you know. <laughs> right, right. All right. So Wisconsin, right? What's the uh, what's the the deer situation like around Stoughton and, and that part of the state? It's good, you know. I mean, there's, <clears throat> I you know, listening to the podcast, listen, you know, there's a lot of similarities uh, in my situation to what it sounds like some of your farms are at. Um, a, you know, certainly Wisconsin is heavy pressure um, everywhere, um, whether you're, you know, people are just outside all the time. So, I mean, the pressure isn't always from other hunters. I mean, you get pressure from, I mean, trespassing seems to be like, seems like Wisconsin's all public land because people go wherever they want, anytime they want, uh, whether they're hunting mushrooms or um, just camping. Um, I've found a tent set up on private land, 40 yards from my tree stand. Um, but the deer, you know, are, seem to be, I guess my focus, cause I don't have a big track of land, um, to hunt or I haven't previously until this year. Um, deer seem to just kind of be one with the people type thing. You know, they live in little woodlots, 
um, urban areas. I know um, one of the podcasts on Wired to Hunt, they were about urban hunting. Um, I'm certainly not in that category, but there's a, um, a lot of good deer hunting. There's deer, it seems like, around every corner if your eyes wide open kind of approach to it. Yeah. Um, and don't overlook some of those four or five acre plots that are in between some communities. It might be loaded with deer. And, um, you know, the DNR has done a, I think, in my opinion, has done a pretty good job. Um, but year after year, the, um, you know, the regs change. And we used to have the earn a buck program where you had to shoot a doe to get a buck tag. Um, and now we're kind of back to, you know, so you could harvest four or five does and have four or five buck tags, which was kind of fun. But, um, you know, now we're kind of back to the traditional, I think we get four doe tags with a, with our archery tag and uh, one um, buck kill tag. And uh, so they certainly want to take out a bunch of does. And there's a lot of them if you, you know, seem to take, put in a little time and, and find them. But you know, each night I drive home, I probably have a 30 minute drive or so. And I've been seeing 40, 50 deer every night I drive home. So population seems to be pretty healthy. And uh, hopefully the CWD thing can get under control here a little bit and sounds like there's a vaccination out there that's uh down the pipeline that might help us all out yeah so just to clarify that that vaccination is not confirmed yet fyi uh sure it is some it's there's there's not enough information to say one way or the other and i think it's from research that was done a very long time ago uh so okay uh, I'm not sure how accurate some of that information was when it when it got released, but God, I hope so. It'd be nice, right? Um, oh, it'd be great. Yeah, it'd be great. So uh, I know that Madison necessarily wasn't in that that initial big CWD zone uh, when that all broke out. What? How many years ago was that? Yeah, I think it was. I just read an article about. Uh, two weeks ago that it was more up by the lacrosse area. And I think it, it dated back like 2006 or seven or something like that. Yeah. It was a lot longer than I thought. And it was really in Minnesota, but it's where it was in Minnesota was, you know, the Wisconsin river just cross, you know, the border waters there. So um, that was kind of up in the West central part of Wisconsin, I think is where that, and, and eastern, east central Minnesota is where the big outbreak started. Um, yeah, so it's it's interesting. I, and they do a good job of you know you can when you harvest a deer you can certainly send in the samples. They have some drop areas where you can uh, get everything tested and whatnot. And you know, knock on wood, I've I've done that and I haven't had anything come back positive in, in my area yet. I do know a few that have. Um, but I don't know exactly the the location or how close that location is to where I I hunt. Gotcha. But C, CWD is in your area, right? Or not necessarily. Oh yeah. Your okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, we have a the harvest tags. That's why we get the four doe tags because we're in a CWD harvest zone. Um. So they certainly want to eliminate a lot of the doe population and, and try to collect more data on it and uh try to reduce some deer numbers in especially in the does but 
yeah, like I said, I, I don't know anybody um, other than one or two guys that actually, you know, harvested deer that tested positive. Um, and that's, you know, thousands of deer over the years that uh, I've been aware of that people have shot. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So it sounds to me like you got a healthy population uh, in the area. Now, when it comes to, I guess, a quality of deer, right? When you set your goals every year, um, are you are are you able to say like I want to shoot a four year old or I want to shoot a five year old or is that uh, I'm not I'm not trying to ask you what your goal is, but what is from a big buck perspective and like maturity level, um, is it common to run into a four year old or a five year old or an older age class deer every season? Uh, I would say it's, you know, speaking just from my personal experience, it seems to me that, you know, with a, you know, I put in a fair amount of work and in some quite a few uh, hours of preparation, but it seems like every year I will get on a deer of, you know, four year old or older age class. Um, and that's on, you know, knock on door permission properties that are small plots, you know, I think the biggest one I had before I obtained my lease this year was about 17 acres. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you hunt, I think you you can, you hunt in an area with like smaller parcels. I, you know, so how I kind of got started in the whole bow hunting thing is I was um, growing up. I had, um, I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' farm and my, my grandfather took us out hunting and, um, you know, was shotgun hunting and, uh, I never saw any deer ever cause I was, I didn't know what I was doing. I was, you know, 12 years old and sitting out in a cornfield and just never saw anything. And, um, I think when I was about 14, I got permission to hunt a private farm and, uh, hunted there and I you know, first, uh, couple days I saw deer and I was like, wow, you know, this is pretty cool. And, um, walking back up to get picked up by my mom later, you know, after the hunt, um, the farmer stopped and, and, uh, said, Hey, you know, I apologize. I didn't think it was a big deal, but my family's kind of all upset that I let somebody else out here, um, to gun hunt. And my brother and I were gun hunting. And he said, so, you know, I, I, unfortunately this is going to be your last time. And I was, you know, I was pretty upset because I was, you know, the first time I got to actually see some deer. And he was, but if you bow hunt, you know, you're welcome to bow hunt. Nobody bow hunts. I went, okay. So I went down to uh, our local uh, archery shop here in, in town and picked up a bow. I don't think it fit me or anything, but box arrows and shot for a couple of weeks and got good enough. Went out and started bow hunting. And then I f- figured out that I could bow hunt. I didn't have a lot more access to some private land if I focused on the spots that most people were overlooking. You know, I wasn't looking for a 40-acre track. I was looking for, you know, that seven or eight acres behind your house or, you know, the 12 acres that no one else is hunting because it's a long walk, um, stuff like that. And that gained me a lot more access. And, um, you know, I just had uh, a lot of success. In, in those small spots and I've just kind of kept doing it. 
That's awesome. Because uh, I tell you what, it only takes one tree to kill a deer, right? Well, if you're a, a tree stand hunter, but you know what I mean. Like it takes, right. it just takes a very small amount of space. You know, it's 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 when point A meets point B. You know, that's that's deer hunting, and you you don't need thousands of acres to do that. Now, if that thousand acres is managed and all this blah blah blah, it, that surely helps. But especially when you know the like in some of these higher populated areas right where these deer sure. are you know deer are kind of can sometimes be overlooked in in this because there's so much other other stuff going around that people may not see you know this giant deer you know standing in some guy's backyard or whatever you know what i mean oh absolutely and i just saw i think last week Dan Ingfall put out a, um, I don't know if it was a podcast or a, some sort of message about how the the young kid, you know, first time hunter success because they're getting put in these less, you know, pressured spots that everyone overlooks, you know, and dad and grandpa want to go to the back 40 and they're going to put their, you know, young child up towards the front of the farm where it's easy access. They always walk by it and they overlook it how many times do you hear that story of that first time hunter, you know, shooting the biggest buck that they've ever shot in camp. Yeah. And, uh, he said, people got to focus on those, the walk by spots, I think is what he called them that you walk by all the time and you overlook, um, deer figure that out. And they, they sometimes hunker in there and let you walk by them all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So what year was this that you went and picked up a bow for the first time? Oh, Wow, I'm 41 right now. So, what is that? 25 years ago. Okay, 25 years. So, by by basically being forced into bow hunting, you know, you made a decision. It's like I want to keep this property, but the only way I can keep it is if I bow hunt. So, you, in a way, it's kind of like fate brought you to bow hunting. Correct. Yep. Gotcha. So, you know, after that first initial year. Um, is bow something is bow hunting something that you fell in love with uh or was it just kind of uh eh, you know i'm doing it because i have to do it if i want to hunt right or did you or did you just kind of like cannonball into bow hunting at that point uh well i was pretty young you know i was 14 i think at the time so i was kind of limited you know i couldn't you know ride my bike to a spot or anything like that so i was a little bit limited but um, totally fell in love with it. And then, you know, as through college, I, I played a lot of golf and I was trying to chase that dream. And I was in, you know, Southern California, not a highly, uh, a great bow hunting spot, I guess. So I, I kind of got out of hunting, um, until I moved back to Wisconsin in 2001. And, um, again, I, I kind of found it the same way. I kind of lead back to, you know, how I got permission. Um, and, uh, you know, knew some guys when I moved back that had some, some small spots to hunt. I said, you know, kind of just a knock on door policy asked if, uh, they minded if I hunted that eight acres behind their house and I'm just bow hunting. I won't use a firearm close to the house, anything like that. And, uh, and kind of was able to work myself back into it. And, um, yeah, now it's just something, uh, I always kind of use the statement that I, I golf 
to be able to afford to hunt, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is kind of cool if you think about it. But, right. Um, you know, that's my means of income. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm 12 months out of the year focused on, you know, bettering myself as a as an archer and, and trying to manage, you know, how to get better. And, you know, I don't chase a certain age class or antler size necessarily. I just try to, you know, challenge myself, I guess, in bettering, you know, shooting a more mature deer than I did the last year or the most mature deer that I can find. Um, and, you know, I pass up, I don't need to kill a deer. Um, like most of us, um, I, I enjoy, you know, I would certainly love taking a doe, uh, early in the season and filling the freezer and getting, you know, that part taken care of. And, um, I enjoy just being in the tree. It's, you know, it's kind of that solitude, uh, of the chaos from the summer that kind of culminates in the, in sitting in a tree by yourself is, is my favorite part. Um, and trying to be, you know, kind of that ghost in the tree when deer are just doing their natural thing is, uh, is the best part for me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, 2017 you know we're gonna we're not gonna go through the whole you know teaching yourself how to hunt teaching yourself you know wind direction and stuff i kind of want to get into this uh the story of the buck from 2017 because you sent me a picture of it and that thing's gigantic and it's beautiful and um so why don't you first off describe to the listeners what this buck looks like so they have an idea of what this deer looks like to uh you know th- so when you tell the story they have something to to reference sure so he's a mainframe seven by six um and uh he's just a giant body deer he's wide he's heavy um i haven't had him officially scored yet uh green scored uh was 164 and an eighth, I believe was the number. And he was aged at four and a half. Wow. Um, so I thought, I thought he was older and bigger. Um, but I would have still certainly taken the shot that I had on him, but, um, it was a great, uh, Ozonics aha moment as well. Cause I had, I'd been in Ohio the week before, um, I was actually able to kill him. And, uh, I hadn't seen that deer before on the area I was hunting. I had another, uh, spot about, let's say maybe a mile away, another small spot. And, um, I had seen him there, but, um, I didn't have access to that end because of the wind and, um, was bad. So my other spot that was closest, I had kind of a so-so wind to go in there and I'm like, you know, I was in Ohio and I kind of had a long week. I saw one pretty nice buck, was able to shoot a doe, and we had some set on the campfire and uh, had a few cocktails and some back straps that night, which was fun. And um, so I came back and wanted to really see if I could catch up with this deer, but I was just getting a bad wind for where I had seen him. So I went to a different parcel with a so-so wind and was hoping they'd come from you know, a certain, um, kind of lowland marsh area that, and then work themselves out. And of course, like deer do, they come from the exact opposite area that you want them to. So I was sitting in the, I actually went in and I was going to sit in a ground blind 
um, because of the wind and um, just not, not a tent hub blind, but just a natural ground blind um, and set that up. And I was set up for 15 minutes and I had, uh, you know, probably a three-year-old eight-pointer, three-and-a-half-year-old eight-pointer just running does all over. And he came by me three times and I wasn't going to shoot him, but I tried just drawing back on him just to see, you know, if I could do it. Cause it was the first time I, it was actually a blind that I had set up for turkeys and, uh, see if I could get my bow drawn in there good. And, and I couldn't. And, uh, so I kind of did the sneak attack army crawl to, um, and stand location I had about probably a hundred yards down the line and, uh, got in there that eight pointer is running deer all over and uh, he actually came with a doe and they're on my downwind side and i had my phone out and i was just taking video of this buck and he was a 10 pointer you know he's a kind of a narrow short time 10 with this doe and they were dead downwind to me for probably 10 to 12 minutes and not once you know i had my ozonics just cranking and not once did they even lick their nose to, you know, check the wind or anything. He was obviously focused on the doe. And, um, I, you know, I was just thinking this thing is worth every penny. And and uh, it was pretty cool just to watch. So I just wanted to get some video of it and show my buddies, you know, here's this cool box. It was a pretty cool interaction. And so I kind of get comfortable videoing this deer. And then I'll just hear, like, the Godzilla grunt come from the marsh and I'm going, what was that? You know, I quick tuck my phone away and, um, grab my bow before I see anything. And he just came out right, right behind me and got dead downwind to me at 18 yards and stopped and was not really on full alert. I think he was just kind of watching that doe and was able to slip a broadhead in there. Good shot. And, uh, watched him fall over and, then I just started celebrating by Man. myself. You know, how would we do that? That's nuts. So, so whenever I think of Wisconsin, for some reason, I think of, you know, uh, you know, Dan Infault talks a lot about, you know, the marshes and finding buck beds in the marsh and whatever. It sounds to me like the, the marsh is a little bit further, like is where a lot of these deer are coming from. And then they work their way up into the property that you hunt in kind of like a CRP type grass. Yeah. So really what I've found, and I, and I think I kind of have it figured out now, is I've been able to get some good mature bucks on the ground, uh, like an 18 this last season, I got a nice double beam, um, nine pointer. And I just have a spot, it's seven acres, um, but there's a resident doe population. They're there all the time, year-round, you know, they eat out of the homeowner's garden, um, you know, and they're trying to shoo them away, and they just, they're pretty accustomed to people, but behind that um, seven, eight acres is thousands of acres of public hunting ground, which is all marsh. And, you know, I think those big bucks just lay in there and you can kind of aerial maps in, in the wintertime, you can kind of find those really out of the way, you know, 
half hour, one hour hike from any access point to the public land that are just these kind of islands that are a little bit higher, dry humps in the marsh. And I think once that rut comes, you know, those big bucks will just get pulled out of all that marsh area and they're going to start harassing kind of the resident does that live on the exterior. And um, if you're in the right spot and don't, you know, disturb the natural tendencies that those does have, you know, I can, on this one particular spot, I can tell you if I'm in the tree by three o'clock at last year at 418 PM, I would start seeing the seven does that live there would walk by my tree. So they were on a, they were on a schedule. They were on a schedule. So it was, you know, give or take a minute or two, but it was like clockwork. And if you just, you know, as patient with the wind and, you know, once you got the right day, you could go in there and sit and, you know, sneak in there kind of quiet, you know, park right by the house. So it kind of seems like, normal everyday stuff. And, um, you know, I probably walk back, you know, walk through two acres maybe, um, to get back to, you know, the kind of the crossing pattern. But, um, it was the day I saw that I saw seven bucks and, uh, and he was just the largest, most mature buck in that group that I had seen and, uh, and had on camera. So I was able to, to get a good shot on him and, uh, awesome. Get so, him out of there. was this buck uh, a buck that you had seen before, or had any past history with? I'd seen him on, the, you know, I didn't have. I had uh, the buck that I shot this year. I had um, seen him on hoof before, and the buck that I shot in seventeen, I had seen him actually seven times prior to me shooting him, but I never got a trail cam picture of him. Okay. So was this buck doing uh, the the same kind of thing like that the does were like during the rut? He obviously was focusing on that specific doe group, and was he trying? It sounds to me like like the uh, the bucks would breed one and then just ch- kind of go down the line and try to breed every doe within that doe group. Yeah, it's a, I think that's accurate. You know, and what. I haven't heard talked about before in any podcasts or magazines or, you know, I've certainly heard about how different, you know, certain does come into estrus cycle at different times. Um, but what I've kind of seen is on some of my different plots that I have to hunt, you know, these small acres that have kind of a resident group of does, I can almost tell, you know, tell you that the spot that I have, that's 12 acres, that group of does, comes into their late their late group of does so if i go in there in november 5th 6th 7th 8th um i don't see a lot of rutting activity for the last four or five years don't see bucks chasing don't see you see the does doing their own thing but if i get in there you know december 15th 16th um there's bucks everywhere it's like early november with that with that group of does um, or another spot. So I kind of have marked what I've seen over the years, hunting these smaller plots, kind of the cycle or, or the estrus cycle that I've seen when these does come into heat. And then I try to trigger my time on those spots during what I've historically 
kind of marked down and plotted um, for the estrus cycles. Right. Which is kind of cool to be able to do. Yeah. I just hope that, hope I'm guessing right, I guess. No, absolutely. And that's one thing that I've started to learn over the last um, couple of years on the main farm that I hunt. All of the big boys, right, the mature deer that I get excited about, um, during the summer, you know, where, when I can get all these awesome trail cam pictures of these booners and whatnot, right. Typically September hits, they go away and then they don't come back. Oh, and when they do come back, it's for like a week or, or so I'm going to say the week before Thanksgiving that somewhere around November, you know, 15th and on for the next 10 days. Right. And Uh, like this year, the biggest buck, uh, this buck I've been calling gnarly Charlie, uh, he, he disappeared and then he showed back up on November 13th, uh, and the 13th through the shotgun season. And then he, then I hadn't, well, then I took down my trail cameras and I don't know where he's at now, but, um, it was crazy to, to see the late activity on this farm on a consistent basis now to the point where. I may not be as excited to hunt the first week of November anymore so that I'm, you know, so that I'm not putting any additional pressure on, on my farms uh, that first week, knowing that uh, either the, the does aren't going into estrus or the big bucks just aren't there yet. Sure. Yeah. And it may, you know, I know there we've, you know, I've listened to, and you've done some podcasts and I know Mark's done some podcasts with, you know, how you look at trail cam picks and you see that, you know, that target buck, you know, on an annual pattern. And what I've seen is that's kind of that annual pattern is really set up by the does annual estrus cycle. Yeah. And, uh, and it's kind of interesting how even, you know, they might be 15 miles apart, but they're three months or three weeks different on their estrus cycle. And you yeah. can kind of, plot around the, you know, the, the estrus cycle and, and hunt on that pattern, which is kind of interesting to think about, but that's what I've been trying. And it seems to, seems to have been working for the last couple of years anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, this buck that you ended up shooting, uh, in 2017 that you were talking about the, the six, was it a 13 pointer six by seven? Correct. Okay. Is he one of the biggest deer you've ever killed? He is, yes, yeah, absolutely. Cool. What? Uh, so that particular little piece of property that borders up against that marsh is that uh, a historically good spot for you th- throughout the years? It is. Yeah, it's you know again, it's not. Uh, there's a lot of. Is a fairly large resident doe population there. So um, again, if you if you don't hunt it much you can, um, you know, and kind of plan your hunt around, you know, some weather patterns and that kind of charted estrus pattern. Um, yeah, there's definitely some, some good bucks that run through there. Um, that is the biggest one I have seen on that spot, um, over the last three or four years, but, uh, there's always, there's always going to be every year in that spot, a mature four-year-old or uh, or better running through there at, at some point and that that particular spot's an early 
November spot. Yeah. So how important, I mean, where, where do trail cameras kind of play into your strategy if they play into your strategy? Uh, you know, that's probably my area that I need to, and that's when I listen to a lot of your podcasts of how you kind of, I think the one that you had last week about, you know, kind of narrowing that web. Yeah. On them. Um, I've probably been a little bit too careful. I run, you know, a couple of wireless cameras, which kind of are game changers, I think to me, you know, where you can kind of watch without any intrusion. Um, and, so I run, I think I had 16 cameras out last year, but I never moved any of them. Um, you know, I, I think I maybe moved two, I guess, but I didn't do the whole, I didn't pattern really a buck and just kind of watched for activity and activity trends, um, and tried to get kind of an inventory really what's there. And I probably can do a better job of, like you put it kind of narrowing that web in on a buck, but because my spots are small, um, my web's pretty small to begin with. Yeah. So I try to put a camera, you know, where I, and I've had these spots for a number of years. So I kind of know the deer movement, but you know, I'll put one camera where I feel they're coming onto the property. One camera in, you know, I always use like a black flash camera in the bedding areas. Um, or a wireless camera because I've seen too many times that, you know, a mature buck, you get on camera once with a, you know, either a flash or an infrared camera, and that's the only picture you get. So I try to use those cameras in the bedding area, then I try to put one by where I think they're exiting the property. So I can try to pattern them coming, you know, coming on in the property, where they're bedding or feeding on the property, if they are at all, and then where they're exiting the property. And I try to narrow that down a little bit. And because I kind of know those patterns already, I haven't moved cameras a whole lot, um, which I probably will focus on, you know, this coming season of being a little more active in, in trying to even narrow that web down a little tighter. Yeah. So are there a lot of other hunters in that area that you hunt? For, for archery season, there's not, you know, I, um, because I think everyone, again, is looking at these, you know, larger plots and they kind of, they, they're kind of overlooked areas for the most part. Um, I bat, you know, I don't battle a lot of hunters. I battle a lot of people walking dogs and, you know, hunting mushrooms or, um, you know, just squirrel hunters, all kinds of things like that, but not a lot of actual pressure from, other deer hunters until gun season comes, um, then it's kind of all over. Yeah. That's, absolutely. you know, and then I kind of just run cameras again, you know, through gun season just to kind of see what I knew was there and what's still there. And, uh, pretty lucky this year. I think we got, you know, everything that I had that, uh, was exciting last year. Um, I saw on camera after, after gun season. So it should be a good, 2019 archery season yeah i hope so man that's awesome that uh you found one of those spots uh i wish i had one of those spots but uh i don't (laughs) i i i wish i guess i i take that back i have a couple of pinch points that if i really wanted to 
I could go in and I could sit probably, you know, depending on the wind, every day of the season and at, at some point connect, you know, get an opportunity at a mature buck. But that to me just, I don't know, I think it would get boring to hunt the same exact stand over and over and over again. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, I think I had, I had seven different properties that I could access to hunt. Yeah. Um, and two of, so one of them is the largest one I share with, uh, a real good buddy of mine. And, um, you know, so I don't, because I have these other spots, I don't want to impede on him unless he's, you know, um, kind of tagged out or kind of got his thing because that's his spot that he only has. So I try not to, you know, impact him and try to stay away, but try to get out there with him once or twice just for camaraderie of, you know, sharing the hunt a little bit. And then getting on, I did get on a lease this year towards late in the year, so we didn't have a lot of time to do it. But that's like a 260-acre lease, and um, so that's a big property. But it is—it's a lot different game on that size property than a 17-acre plot because there's a lot more, uh, you know, chunks to break down and try to figure out if this chunk's good, if it, you know, and. Um, I think I kind of like the little 17 to 12 yeah. acre spot because you you can figure it out a lot quicker. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. Well, Matt, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, chit-chat with us today. Um, congratulations on, it sounds like uh, the last couple seasons have been good to you and good luck uh, moving forward. You as well, Dan. I appreciate it. And there you have it. We're done. Another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to uh, Matt for coming on. Uh, Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, the listener, very much for taking time to follow this podcast. Make sure you're joining me on social media uh, and the Sportsman's Nation on social media. Uh, We're talking Facebook and Instagram. Uh, If you haven't already, go visit sportsmensnation.com and uh, sign up to be part of the mailing list scroll to the very bottom of any screen and uh, enter your email address other than that man i'm just going to keep this real short thank you to all the partners of this podcast exodus ozonics wasp lone wolf deer lab prime ripcord and lastly hunter safety system guys if you're going to be in a tree please wear your damn safety harness have a good week Thank you.